Tracy Munzel is the executive director of the American Worldview Inventory at Arizona Christian University. She wrote an article titled, American Christian Parents Lack Biblical Worldview and Therefore Lack Robust Faith to Share with Their Children. And reading from that article, she says this, The overwhelming majority of American parents today lack a biblical worldview, and they lack a robust faith that they can pass on to their children, which dramatically hampers the spiritual development of the next generation. According to research from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, a full nine out of ten parents of children under age 13 embrace a muddled worldview that mixes a variety of alternative life philosophies, most of which have little to do with biblical truth. The latest findings from the American Worldview Inventory, a national study of American parents conducted by the CRC Director of Research, George Barna, show that two-thirds of parents of preteens claim to be Christian, but only 2% actually possess a biblical worldview. In fact, the new study found that a majority of today's parents are millennials, the adult generation in America least likely to possess a biblical worldview. And according to the research, the younger the parent, the less likely they are to have a biblical worldview. Sounds kind of important, doesn't it? Maybe we should spend 10 weeks this summer talking about a biblical worldview. Well, that's what we're doing, and we're in week number four of what I think will be 10 weeks, looking at life through the lens of Scripture, major categories of life that God has given us, and trying to think like Christians trying to think the way the Scriptures would have us think about things like worship, that we were created to worship. Work, that we were created to work for the glory of God as a part of our worship. And this morning, we're going to consider our rest, that God has called us to work and to work hard, but He has given us a great gift of rest, and we need to think biblically about the rhythm and rhyme of our lives. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, will, well, actually, there'll be three readings, and I'm not sure if these slides are going to pair up or not, um, but listen to this. Let's let the Scriptures give us a perspective on work, and we'll look to Genesis, the book of beginnings, to help us think about it. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it He rested from all the work of creating that He had done. Psalm 127, verse 2. In vain... You rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep 
to those he loves. And then Leviticus 26, verse 2. The Lord says, Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Let's pray that the Lord would bless our consideration of the gift of rest this morning. Lord, we would pray that you would open our eyes and unstop our ears and soften our hearts that we would see the good gifts that you have given us for what they are. Good gifts. So Lord, help us to rethink when we need to rethink how we've considered life and work and rest. And Lord, help us to do this by faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Atlantic, and by the way, my apologies for reading from a second article already two minutes into the sermon, but the Atlantic has an article that I read this week that says, Americans won't relax even late at night or on the weekend. A recent study by economists Dan Hammermesh and Alina Stancinelli found that Americans not only work longer hours, but they are more likely to work late at night and on weekends as well. On the weekends, one in three workers in the U.S. were on the job, compared to one in five in France, Germany, and the Netherlands. On a typical weeknight, 25% of American workers did some kind of work between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., compared with about 7% in France and the Netherlands. The U.K. is closest to the U.S. on this measure, where 19% work during night hours. And on the weekends, one-third of the U.S. were on the job, compared to one-fifth in France, Germany, and the Netherlands. The U.S. leads the way in average annual work hours at 1,790, which is 200 more hours than France, the Netherlands, and Denmark. 55% of college graduates report that they get their sense of identity from their work. And technology is increasingly making more work accessible from home. The economists note two setbacks to our hard-working culture. Number one, less social life. And number two, poorer health conditions. They say this, they close the article with this. We have driven ourselves to the point where we work more and get less and less for it. Does that resonate with you at all? You have a great work ethic. You know what it is to go, 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 go. Maybe for you that work ethic started as a student. Maybe it started in college where the article suggests we learn that we are defined by our work. We prove ourselves by our work. And we will study, 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 read, read, read. I have a lot of memories of taking students on trips. And if it was a spring break trip, we tended to do the, the Widow's Watchman Ministries. It was hard to get students to put their books down, the, the really achieving ones, not all students, the really achieving ones, to put their books down in order to spend time together. 
But one of the great things we would do on that widow's watchman trip with college students is when Sunday came, we took a Sabbath and we made sure they experienced a day filled with worship and rest and feasting and celebrating all the things that the Sabbath can and should be. And I had more than a few students who struggled on that day of rest because they were just so wound up. I got to go. I got to do. I got to go. I got to do. And that may be you. You may be one who is driven and driven with an off-the-charts work ethic. That may not be you. We talked about that last week, that some overwork, some underwork. But this morning, all of that is related, but it's this gift of rest. And if you examine yourself, as I hope the sermon will encourage you to do, some of us are very under-rested. And maybe some are over-rested. Right? It's always both extremes are possible for us. But the Lord gives us a command to rest which tells us he's serious about it and we need to be told to do it. There's something about us that will get rest wrong. So, biblically speaking, what do we know? Well, I have three points for you this week and all every time in this series. But it's what we were created for and given by God. It's how the fall, sin, has ruined that gift by ruining us and that God is serious about a people redeeming that gift, that He wants the ruins redeemed. And so if you're a member of GPC, if you're a professing Christian, this really is a part of our job description, is to learn in this life what it is to redeem the kind of rest that God has called His people to have, to push back on our natural tendencies and to seek to live the way God has called us to live. So with those three points in mind, we're going to take them one at a time. And the first is this. At creation, God provided the gift of rest for his people. The God of order, the God of structure, he gave rest as well as work for his people. And he modeled rest himself. In Genesis chapter 2, the passage that we read, he rested he modeled it for us, and then later he would command it of his people. So he modeled it, and he commanded it. And in this Sabbath gift, think about what we have. We have a fixed rhythm, a fixed ratio of work to rest. And it's very clear what that rhythm and that ratio is. It's a six parts to one part ratio. Now, those of you who cook know that getting ratios, ingredients correct in a recipe makes all the difference in the world. I've never made a cake, but I know that flour goes into the cake and, and water or milk and, and sugar and eggs. And you got to get the ratios right. Otherwise, the recipe won't compute. And the same thing is true in being human and having this work and rest ratio. We're given a recipe... We're in the image of God, and he tells us to live accordingly. That one day in seven also is a forced reflection to be still, to worship God, to literally cease from our labor. 
And isn't that a gift in and of itself? You think about this. If every day were the same, the monotony of every day being the same would grind us down. But God has given us this recipe that breaks up our labor and our work and gives us rest. And it changes life. It brings variety to life, variety to families. It is a great blessing. Marva Dawn, on the subject of ceasing and resting, says this in her book, Keeping the Sabbath Holy. She says, Sabbath ceasing means to cease not only from work itself, but also from the need to accomplish and be productive, from the worry and tension that accompany our modern criterion of efficiency, from our efforts to be in control of our lives as if we were God, and from our possessiveness and our enculturation, and finally, from the humdrum and meaninglessness that result when life is pursued without the Lord at the center of it all. Sabbath is forced reflection. It's a forced, uh, it's a fixed rhythm and ratio for humans to live. And God, who has the owner's manual, has issued to us that we should live accordingly in order that we might be restored that we might be renewed, that we might be rejuvenated. And all of that is good news. The Sabbath is a blessing. It is to be enjoyed. And so having said that, does that sound like your Sabbath practice at all? Do you enjoy the Lord's day and the change of rhythm He's given you? Is it a day of feasting, a day of celebrating, a day of enjoying, a day of resting from what every other day is preoccupied with? Or somehow, like me, have you found the Sabbath to be a burden? Has it become a day of you don't get to do things, as if God's not good to us? You know, we're talking about fixing broken things, and the truth is we have, bro- we have a broken view of rest. We have a broken view of Sabbath. Somehow, this great gift of God to us, we treat it as if it's a burden. To gather for worship, to celebrate the family of God, we all do it. Now, I remember, and I, I feel like I've told you this before, but as a young boy, I grew up in a in a pretty strict Sabbatarian community, which meant if grandpa who lived next door was anywhere around, no throwing the football on Sunday. Couldn't throw the football on Sunday. And I liked to throw the football. My brother and I liked to play in the yard. No playing on Sunday. You play six days a week, can't play on Sunday. Now, I do not hold that view. I don't think that's the right view of Sabbath practice. It, could, it does have application, and I'd talk through that with you if you want to. Uh, but Sundays for us became a day where you couldn't do anything. Nothing could be done. Nothing could be enjoyed. We've made what was a great blessing of God. We've treated it as if it's a burden. And it's got to be fixed, y'all. It's got to be redeemed and restored for what it can and should be. A day of doing things you don't get to do otherwise. 
by being still and enjoying God's people, enjoying God's gift, ceasing from the mundane routine of, of chasing life six days a week. God gave it to us as a great gift. He modeled it and he commands it of us. Kevin DeYoung says the Sabbath is not meant as a day of gloom, but a day of gladness. The Westminster Standards remind us what is man's chief end? It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And so somehow our practice of rest, our use of the Sabbath, it should be enjoyable. It should be the best day of the week. It's the day that our children should grow up hearing and practicing and understanding. We get to do things on Sunday. We don't get to do the other six days of the week. But somehow we've reversed that. And the fall is always the culprit. That is the ruin of sin. The tragic event of the fall of sin even corrupted and ruined our rest. What God gave as order, we are now disordered. We've lost the rhythm and the ratio. We underrest or we overrest. Some of us constantly work. And what's the saying? All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Right? You know that saying? All work, no play makes Jack a, a dull boy. We weren't made for that. And I do include play and recreation and leisure into the concept of, of Sabbath resting, of cessation of our labor. It's a tragic event that we've gotten rest wrong. We've lost the rhythm. We've lost the ratio. We've lost the reflection of having a day to be still and to know that the Lord is, is our God and to know that He has provided for our needs. We need one day in seven to be still, to be able to reflect on His goodness and His mercies. And He's given us that day. But we're so busy in our work, we won't stop, we won't reflect. And because of that, we tend to be depleted of the restoration, the renewal, and the rejuvenation that He has gifted us. So why is rest so hard? Well, I'll tell you at least one reason. It's these things, right? We are tethered to work, many of us, because of these things. Or tablets, or, or laptops. Everybody's got them. And we can be reached and contacted at any hour of the day by text message, email, or when on vacation even. Everybody has these things. So one of the widows we visited in Honeypath, um, lady named Miss Sadie White. She's a 94-year-old woman. And uh, she only has vision in one eye. Uh, she lost the sight in her other eye in recent years. And those who visited her, um, she would not stop praising the Lord that she had vision in one eye. She didn't talk about the eye that didn't work. She talked about the eye that did. And that's not why I'm telling you the story. But to see this 94-year-old woman talk about her family, and you know what she did? She found and pulled out her tablet and started scrolling through pictures. As a 94-year-old woman, scrolling through pictures of her um, child's 
produce. Uh, she was a gardener and had pretty flowers and, and different things from the garden. A 94-year-old woman has a tablet. Everybody's got them. And those things mean we are always on call. And it can be very hard to detach from work, right? I'm not telling you things you, you don't know. We go off on vacation, and they become what? Working vacations. We'll take work with us. Or maybe you lie in bed at night, and you're a problem solver like I am. And you're just solving problems all night. How are you going to make that fence stand up straight, Paul? Where are you going to get that lumber, Paul? How are you going to have enough of this, enough of that? And you just can't let it go because we're task-oriented. And we would work ourselves to death. But God said, you need to rest. You need a six-to-one ratio. You were made for that. And when the maker says that, we need to listen. And we need to remember, we'll kill ourselves with anything, even with work. But we want to rest to the glory of God. God cares about our rest. He wants us to be restored, renewed, rejuvenated. And so He gave us the gift of rest. And now He's calling a people to Himself. And He's redeeming those people. And He wants us to take that gift of rest into our lives and into the world. Our rest matters to God. We get a lot of things wrong. We get everything wrong. But have you ever really thought about the fact that we can't even get rest right? We get it all wrong. Everything is broken. And so our rest is for the glory of God. Now, how is our rest broken? A couple of practical things. And I want you to don't think about other people. I want you to think about you and your use of rest and the gift of rest and how you can glorify God with it. So how are, what are ways that we are getting it wrong? How is it, how is it broken? Well, I think we get rest wrong. We demonstrate that our, our rest is broken when we see it as a sign of weakness. When you see the need for rest, taking a day off, or even going on vacation, when you see it as a sign of weakness, one of my favorite movies coming up for this time of year in the fall is Remember the Titans, if you know that movie. Coach Herman Boone, I won't explain the movie, but he's a football coach, and he's taken over two schools that have merged to white school, a black school. He's merged them into one team. He's given one team from those two schools, and he's trying to break these boys. He's trying to make men of them. And one of my favorite quotes from this movie, because it, it is such an absurd quote, is this. One of the boys is hot and tired. He's exhausted at practice. And Coach Boone says this. Water makes you weak. Water is for cowards. No, it's not. That's hilarious to me. Um, water doesn't make you weak. You need it to live. You will die without water. You're not a coward for needing to drink water when you're practicing football in the southern heat. So it just cracks me up. Um, I actually quoted that movie to someone uh, during the Widow's Week when we were measuring to cut boards, and I jokingly said, measuring is for cowards, right? No, it's not. 
you've got to measure before you cut the board, right? But we will think that way. We will let ourselves be like, no, rest is for the week. Rest is for the week. Vacations are for the week. That's not true. Laugh at yourself. Push back on yourself when you think that way or when someone else imposes that on you. Years ago, I was on vacation and there was another minister um, in my denomination who was trying to reach me when I was on vacation. And I didn't answer his call. Now, when I got back from vacation, I did. And, and he reached out to me and he said, or I called him back and he said, how come you didn't call me? He didn't answer my phone. I said, I was on vacation. And you know what he said? I never took vacation. And he tried to shame me. He tried to make me feel guilty for taking my family on vacation. And you know what I did? I pushed right back and said, well, that's a terrible thing that you never went on vacation. You should have rested because it's God's gift to you. Don't let others shame you for trying to practice rest to the glory of God. We get rest so wrong, we will make someone feel guilty for resting, for taking a day off as they should, or even for going on vacation. That's how broken rest is in our culture. Remember what Psalm 127 says, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Don't feel guilty for resting. There's a ratio. The ratio is six to one. Get the ratio right to the glory of God. So we get rest wrong. We show it's broken when we see it as a sign of weakness. When we see it as a guilty indulgence. We get rest wrong when we see it as an obstacle to our proving ourselves. I talked about working that way last week. Uh, but then fourthly, I think it's worth commenting we get rest wrong or show that it's broken in us when we prefer what I'll call pseudo-rest, false rest. Things like Facebook, social media as rest, Netflix as rest, video games as rest, college football as rest. Those things are gifts in and of themselves, you could argue. But I'm talking about real rest, real cessation, real reflection. We were made to have a deep rest. And you know how it is, some of you who are on social media, you get on social media and you'll find something to worry about. You'll find something to complain about. You'll find something to get mad about. You'll find something to comment on. That's not rest. Let's not confuse God's gift of rest with, with pseudo-rest. A deep rest and reflection. A day that is unlike any other. That's the kind of rest that we're talking about. And so maybe the helpful thing to do is to ask this question. And, and maybe this is a lunchtime discussion for you. Have you identified the things that deplete you the most? Um, moms, I, I can probably name some of those, and it starts with laundry, and it, and it ends with, with meals. Those things are hard, and they're constant. That's the mundane. That's the all the time. So have you identified things in your week or in your day that are, that are the hard things? Those are the things you're clocking in and doing that, that deplete you. It's good to identify those things, the hard things, because you might find 
that on Sunday you get extra help from others who aren't doing those things during the week, right? The second question over lunch you might ask is, what are the things that replenish me? What are the things that really restore my heart, my soul, my joy? What are the things I enjoy to the glory of God? So what depletes you? What replenishes you? And you know, we're all different there. There are going to be different things that replenish us or, or that we enjoy. But you should intentionally pursue replenishment, rejuvenation, rest to the glory of God. To the glory of God. Because you need that. If you're going to work hard in your six days of labor, you've got to be truly rested, deeply rested, refreshed, renewed, and rejuvenated to serve the King of Kings. Don't settle for pseudo-rest. Identify the real rest that restores your soul. So how can we redeem rest? Number one, we can stop trying to prove ourselves and learn to live according to this rest rhythm, this rest ratio. To be still in that way, to cease from our labor. Secondly, we can trust God by faith to live according to this pattern that He has given us. And really, that's what it is. It's living by faith. There are going to be things you want to do, things you feel like you need to do, but by faith, can you put those things down one day in seven? That's what faith looks like when it comes to work and to rest. And that was always the conversation with students. Are you going to take one day in seven where you're not reading, memorizing, and writing? You will write better on Monday if you don't do it on Sunday. Can you trust God by faith that you were made to live in that pattern? It requires faith to take a Sabbath rest. And then thirdly, learning to exercise discipline and faith to live the way God has made you to live. To not live by instinct, but to live by His instruction. That's what's at stake here. It's to follow the owner's manual and to go to work by faith in learning how to rest, in teaching your family how to rest, in teaching your children how to rest. To stop fretting and being anxious and being worked up and saying, you know what? It's God's gift to me. And I'm not giving that gift away and I'm not going to let somebody take it from me. I was made to work, but I was gifted with rest. And it is a good gift from God. I'll close with this. You've heard it said, how's your work ethic? But I say to you, How's your rest ethic? Can you rest to the glory of God? Can you play to the glory of God? Can you recreate to the glory of God? I think we can. I think our worldview has to have both categories, both extremes, that whatever we do in our seven days is to the glory of God. And that one day in seven, it is a gift to learn by faith how to rest, how to trust Him, and to worship Him for His good gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We can rest for the glory of God. 
hear that as the good news that it really is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are not defined by our work, and we thank you for the gift of rest. And Lord, by faith, we need to grow in our exercise of real worship and real rest to live in rhythms and ratios that will work for us. So, Lord, would you help us to do this? Would you use one another to encourage us in this? Would families help moms rest and families help dad to rest? Lord, restore us. Help us to enjoy the gift of life and the rhythm of a week by living more faithfully according to your word. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.